Welcome to the Kershaw Podcast. A series of conversations with industry experts talking about how we supply and procure digital services. Hello and welcome to another podcast where we talk about the digital marketplace and we celebrate its eighth anniversary. It's been great talking to some of the contributors to date and looking at the perspective of how people have contributed in actually the founding members of the digital marketplace, those that have had legal contracts and people that have been involved in designing the process and thinking about the content that's required for some of the documents. Today, we are really lucky to speak to someone who is very passionate about open contracting and a person who supports transparency and the mindset that's needed around being more open with the way public bodies spend their money. Today, we're going to be talking to Lindsay Marchessault, the Director of Data and Engagement at the Open Contracting Partnership. Lindsay is also a member of the board at the Transparency International Canada, and she brings a wealth of knowledge of both where she's based in Canada, overseas, and also opportunities to help support and promote open contracting where possible. Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. And I want to start with a question. Why is public procurement so important in your opinion? Thank you so much. David, and thank you for having me here on the podcast today and to talk about uh, my favorite topic, which is public procurement. And for all the listeners out there, you might be thinking, oh no, public procurement is so complicated. It's lawyers and it's systems and it's IT and it's complicated and it's boring. But I can tell you it is anything but boring. Public procurement is worth an estimated 13 trillion US dollars every single year. That's the money that our governments are spending in order to deliver us all of the public goods, works and services that we need to attain our sustainable development goals. Public procurement has a huge potential for catalyzing industry and economic development to facilitate trade across borders and also to improve fairness and equity in our society. So we really need to think about, you know, when we're spending public money, you know how we can get good value for money and good outcomes and use it in the best way possible for our societies. And unfortunately, public procurement is hugely vulnerable to fraud, corruption, waste, mismanagement. 57% of foreign bribes are paid to obtain government contracts. And it's also estimated that public procurement is responsible for about 15% of greenhouse gas emissions. So there's really a huge opportunity with public procurement to do it better, to make a difference. Lindsay, thanks for that initial overview of the importance of public procurement. I mean, the numbers are just staggering. So we're here to think about the digital marketplace in the UK, but before we get on to that, let's talk about e-procurement systems. You mentioned about corruption and fraud, but surely e-procurement systems prevent that. And is there a way that that actually has an effect or is that not the case? I think it's important to, now that we've talked about why it's important and what the challenges are, we can go a little bit deeper into it. So why are there so many challenges? And part of it is a lack of transparency. Part of it is the fact that many places around the world, these systems are paper-based still. Many challenges relate to the fact that procurement is very much a a compliance-based function in a lot of places and a box-ticking exercise. So really, there's a big piece of work before we even talk about technology, about talking about shifting mindsets and shifting 
shifting the way that people think about procurement and to think about procurement in a way that is more strategic, that we start with our goals first. What are we trying to achieve with our procurement system as a whole? What are we trying to then achieve through the individual purchases that we're making? And how can we best design our system so that it is a pleasant experience for not only the government buyers, the government oversight actors, but also for the participants in this marketplace, the private sector companies, and even more broadly, civil society, media, academia, those who are interested in monitoring how government is doing in this important function and participating in that way as well in the monitoring, the oversight, and the accountability side of things. Unfortunately, what we've seen is that Part of that is why it is so difficult for technology to be adopted successfully by government, digital transformation and adoption of e-procurement systems. So to first answer your question, David, yes, we have absolutely seen that adoption of e-procurement systems when done well and when they embed good principles of transparency, of stakeholder engagement, open data, data use, analytics, monitoring can be hugely beneficial and drive significant impact. I'll share one example. Back in 2014-2015, my organization, the Open Contracting Partnership, supported Ukraine in their electronic procurement reforms. And they started off with the principles of everyone sees everything. We need to really improve the transparency here. We need to embrace public-private partnership, a collaboration between government, private sector, commerce platforms, and civil society to work together to build this new system to really try to improve the user experience of the system and the transparency and monitoring of the system working with both government oversight, civil society, and business to alert to integrity issues. And over the years, the implementation of this system has resulted in savings of over 6 billion US dollars, including more than 18% of the public health budget. They were also able to have perceptions of corruption, so they reduced by half, and thousands of new suppliers entered the market, many of which were small and medium-sized companies. So the impact of e-procurement especially when happening with, let's call it the open contracting perspective, where you're really starting with goals and strategy and change management and open data and all of the different pieces falling into place, then the results can be hugely successful. Unfortunately, we've been doing some research lately with partners around the world and especially in Africa, looking at what have been the challenges in adopting EGP. And unfortunately, we've seen that many of the e-procurement projects, despite 10 of millions of dollars of investment have stalled or failed. And as a result, we dug a bit deeper into it and kind of came up with some guidelines, tools and resources, which can be found in our new report, Fulfilling the Promise of E-Procurement. But basically, the first step is really need to articulate clear outcome oriented goals through an EGP strategy. So what is the problem we're trying to fix? What are the targets we're trying to reach in terms of the types of things that I mentioned earlier, integrity, value for money, social considerations, economic considerations? And then how can we set the team up for success? So we need to really think about what would be an effective governance structure and how we can have a strong project team to make sure we have the necessary skill sets within the team and to make sure that team is empowered with the appropriate powers to be able to get the work done and what type of governance process will help them to be able to navigate huge government bureaucracies to change the way that such an important function is taking place. You have to really plan for sustainability 
quality and system maintenance, you know, right from the start, because part of the problem is the project might only have a one or two year budget or time horizon, but we really need to be thinking more long term than that and to think about what will be the funding model, the staffing and the capacity to maintain and improve the system for the years to come so that they can have the privilege of reaching an eighth year anniversary. You also need to do the work to align the policy and the legal framework uh, to enable the digital transformation because the laws were written based on a paper-based model. So if we're rethinking how procurement should be done, we need to also make sure that the legislative environment permits it and not only permits it, but also sometimes mandates it. Because as mentioned, folks can be resistant to change. And if we're not requiring use of this new system, then people might not want to use it. There's a few more things. One is to design the system and define the requirements, including data with your stakeholders. So to really think about how do we want the system to work and what is the data that we want to capture so that we can monitor how we're doing against our targets. And this is where tools like the Open Contracting Data Standard really come into play because you can think about, all right, do we want to track and report on cost overruns? All right, let's make sure we're using the data fields from the OCDS to capture those aspects. Do we want to monitor the participation of women-led business, small business, or other underrepresented groups or groups deserving of equity? We can use the OCDS for that. Do we want to monitor the use of green criteria? We can use the OCDS for that. So we really need to think about how we want to design these systems and the data requirements together with our stakeholders so that with what we build at the end is going to be useful for the goals that we've articulated in our strategy. There's also some work to do to decide, you know, what type of implementation fits your context. I won't go too much into the details, but there's customize off the shelf, there's software as a service, there's custom build. Each of these has pros and cons, and you need to think through which of those, you know, fit your local context the best. You need to ensure flexibility and collaboration with your vendor through careful contract and relationship management. The one thing that kind of came up over and over again as a challenge is that perhaps requirements, my previous point, were not adequately defined from the get-go. It meant that later, once you know system development was underway, the contract was a little bit too rigid to introduce new requirements and to incorporate user feedback. So it didn't quite respond to an agile way of doing things. So that's something that can be done through setting up your contracts with your vendor very mindfully for those types of situations. And then fundamentally, perhaps the biggest regret shared by EGP teams that had not been successful was not having change management plans baked in from the very beginning of the reforms. Big changes have a tendency to encounter resistance, so a change management strategy can help communicate the changes in time to win hearts and minds and change behaviors, ensuring that systems will be adopted and have a chance at delivering the intended results. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for that very detailed background of all the amazing things that you've been leading and your organisation has been leading and giving those examples. I think you're right. I'd like to pick up what Lindsay was saying about change management strategy and making sure you have a change management strategy in place. We now turn to Warren Smith, who was leading the digital marketplace for the UK. And Warren, I know that you are very passionate as well about open contracting, about internet era systems and tools, and also transparency. As we celebrate this eighth anniversary of the digital marketplace, the key question is, is there a 
have change management strategy in place? And if so, is that working? Thank you, David. But firstly, wow, Lindsay, drop the mic. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was an incredible, incredible perspectives there. I don't think I can really add much into that. I thought I would just give is my perspectives, but I 100% and wholeheartedly agree with everything that Lindsay has covered there. To answer your question, David, I think often it's too easy to focus on the technology rather than the broader organizational change, which is absolutely fundamental to ensure that the right environment is created for that change, the right behaviors, the right cultures, the level of empowerment to give people the ability to make day-to-day decisions towards achieving the outcomes. I think everything that Lindsay said is really spot on and quite a mirror, I think, to the UK's example. I think one of the things that we should have invested more time and effort on is working with the other functional areas that orbited the digital marketplace, but weren't necessarily fundamentally part of it. I mean, we were working with teams from government legal department, from the commercial function, crime commercial service, in terms of policy, sourcing, contract management and delivery. But those team members, I think, were somewhat the exception rather than looking at how we should have worked more deeper into the organisations that they represented to help them give that space, the empowerment, the enabling environment. So I think the change management has to span every level of the organisation from the C-suite right the way down so that anybody within the organisation can feel confident, trusted and empowered to challenge established convention and to work towards a common understanding of what good looks like. So fundamentally, I would say that procurement or digitization of procurement and e-procurement is like any other transformation change program for digital technology. And so it's fundamentally important to look at the skills and capabilities, fundamentally important to ensure that there is collaboration working across organizational and functional boundaries. And because public procurement touches on so many different things. And when we look at, for example, the open contracting data standard, which I'm personally very attached to, as I was the, the sponsor of that standard through the rigorous UK government open standards review and approval process that provides a structured schema for data and information throughout the entire commercial life cycle. So looking much more broadly than what is traditionally the notices that relate to the start and the end of the procurement. Those are important and that's usually where the regulations focus mostly on but there is a fundamental step that happens before that in terms of the planning, the market engagement, the business cases, the appraisal that happens which is a really important part of encouraging and increasing transparency about the plans and the future activities that are going to take place where public funds will be spent. And so that transparency at the early pre-procurement stage should then flow into the procurement and contracting stage and beyond into the post-contract implementation stage, which is where the money is actually being spent. So Lindsay's mentioned some of the eye-watering numbers involved in public procurement, 13 trillion US dollars each year. And I recall fondly the Open Contract and Partnerships report that was published with Spend Network, which talks about that actually a relatively low level of transparency you're looking across. I think just 3% was publicly declared. So I mean, you're looking at 97% of opacity. That's a staggering number. And I think we really do need to look very closely at what needs to happen organisationally to increase that level of transparency because it really underpins public trust between governments, public organisations, and not only the external market, and as you mentioned this already, but it's about the private sector, social enterprises, anybody who has an interest in ensuring that every penny or 
dollar of public funds are being targeted towards delivering better public services for our communities today and in the future. So well put, Warren, and I want to pick up on something that you talked about, which is how important it is to have more transparency and accountability over contract implementation, because as you rightly said, that's where this money spent and that's where the thing is being delivered. The good works and services are being delivered. And I was speaking last week with the Inspector General, Brigitte Bishop of Montreal. Montreal is the only city in Canada that has an Inspector General and her position was created as a result of a public inquiry into some terrible corruption scandals in the construction sector in Montreal about 10 years ago. And in the last 10 years, they've done quite a bit of work to improve the transparency over public contracting in the city. They are an OCDS publisher, but as well, her office was created giving her oversight of public procurement, being able to investigate and to cancel contracts if need be, and to recommend how processes can be improved for the future. And it's not just about the money that's being spent and the potential waste of money. There's also, you know, potential impacts on public health and safety. She mentioned a recent example where a contractor was cutting corners and dumping sewage into nearby farmland and presenting a public safety and environmental risk as well. So that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons it's important to pay attention to this stuff and having a strong reform agenda that makes best use of technology can be really helpful. The importance of this, I don't think, can be overstated. And I think we governments have perhaps spent too long prevaricating and perhaps not embracing bold change. It does feel to me like some of these implementations are more of the e-government era rather than the current digital government era. And so I think there's definitely some opportunities for shifting the dial from that previous approach to the more modern approach, which should be about yeah user-centered, more incremental, more agile approaches. And I always felt that in terms of the UK, public procurement should have been the 26th exemplar, part of that initial phase of transformation in the UK government because it's such an enabling element of other broader reforms get that right and you not only can you transform the relationship between the state and the supply chain but you can actually have a fundamental impact on social value for money and making sure that every penny or every cent is directed towards communities that government is there to serve also just wanted to touch on some of the decision making approaches that are more characteristic with the internet era so public procurement is very very well established in terms of the build versus buy decision making but that sounds like these two things can't coexist they should coexist in terms of technology decision making there's a third dimension which i think is often overlooked or not really appreciated which is the importance of reuse and how open source components and digital public goods which are increasingly available around the world should be being incorporated into the architectural design of e-procurement systems so that every government can effectively benefit from that community-based efforts to improve the availability and quality of reusable open source components. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely something that we're seeing really strong support growing 
group organisations and efforts like the Digital Public Goods Alliance, as well as others around the world. One of the reasons why we originally thought to develop the Open Contracting Data Standard was because standardization of data helps to promote reusability of tools and reusability of software. And so we've been really thrilled by the different efforts all across the world in the open contracting community to develop software and tools for public procurement, whether that's business intelligence tools to monitor the effectiveness and performance of procurement or modules that form part of public procurement systems, e-procurement systems themselves. And so we've seen some really diverse examples of open source technology from places like Ukraine and Moldova, but also from Honduras, uh, all throughout Latin America. And there's also been some efforts in South Africa as well. And so I definitely want to take a moment on this eighth anniversary to celebrate, you know, what was achieved there. Because I think what people need to remember, stretching their memories back eight plus years, is there was a real problem that this reform was designed to address. There was a small supplier base, soaring costs or user experience of technology in the UK government. And the team of reformers got together and realized that a new strategy was needed, one that prioritized better outcomes, better value for money, and better and more fair experience for the private sector. So for the companies involved, and a new way was created that leveraged, yes, technology, but also really emphasized the goals and the measurement, you know, how many new contracts are we signing with how many new suppliers? Are they small businesses? What prices are we paying? And what are the outcomes? And I think because of the mindset and transparency over those targets and data that really helped to drive accountability over that reform and to help to achieve the goals that were set out. Yeah, I can talk from a position not only of experience and passion, but also the data speaks for itself, right? So we can see from the spend data that's published that year-on-year growth has been seen since the very early days, purely on spend alone, at the staggering amount that's going through the digital marketplace, averaging, I think, about £280 million a month. And over £6 billion has been spent with SMEs in that time. So this isn't just kind of anecdote or reckons. We've got the data to demonstrate it. And it's exceeded targets set in recent and previous digital strategies for that growth. So I think it absolutely should be celebrated. And we know because we've worked on this, other governments look to it as an inspiration for what they could do within their own country contexts. And I think that's why the importance of making everything open, so from the source code, from the design patterns, from the contracts, as well as the methodologies and approaches that were taken, that's why working in the open through blogging is really fundamental. It means that other people can learn from those experiences and don't necessarily have to make the same mistakes that we did. And we can talk about that because we've got the brew of, of, of the trial and error that was necessary as an experimental approach to achieving those reforms. So I think, yeah, that's definitely something to celebrate as part of a global community of reformers who look to each other and are supportive of helping other governments who don't need to start from a blank piece of paper because it's a well-trodden path. And I think there are numerous examples of the characteristics and the ingredients of what went into these reforms to make them a success. And the Open Contract and Partnership is a fantastic organisation that has a broad range of resources available on their website. And we encourage anybody to go and have a deep dive into those resources because it's uh, distilled the experiences of governments from around the world into these very practical and useful guides. 
Thank you very much to Lindsay and Warren for joining us today. It's been great to listen to the views of Lindsay and the input from Warren on today's recording. I would like to thank Lindsay Marcheseau from the Open Contracting Partnership and Warren Smith from Kershaw for providing this insight into sort of the next level of positive output that the digital marketplace actually created for all users, providers, bidders, suppliers, taxpayers, people who had the user need and ultimately the procurement fraternity that wants to learn and develop. We look forward to talking to others in podcasts to come and we hope we can expand on these conversations. I've been your host, David Kershaw. Thank you for listening. Subscribe and stay tuned for more.